So Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we uh, consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, you are, you, are the, you are the Lord of the heavens above and the earth beneath. You are God Almighty. And yet you reveal yourself to us. You speak in your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would, that you would be here with us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would allow us to hear your word that you would work in spite of the sin in our hearts so that we would uh, see you clearly. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is one of those, uh, this is one of those intros. You just like to have a, a, some sort of illustration to introduce you know, our topic. And uh, this is one of those that I have like three or four stories. It's hard to pick which one. And I've got this great story about my mom telling off David Copperfield that I just really want to tell, but I'm going to go with a different one. So maybe we can talk about that some other time. So I'm going to go with this one. Um, after my, or actually during my uh, sophomore year of college, I'd started going to RUF, and I was getting to be increasingly good friends uh, with uh, a guy that was actually in several of my classes. And as I was getting to know him, uh, you know, I thought I had him pretty well figured out. Um, he wasn't really that into sports. He didn't seem particularly athletic. He, he kind of was more the, the scholarly type. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, like you, you feel like you know somebody, right? And a, a couple of years later, or 
yeah, I guess, you know, junior year, something like that, maybe a year later, I'm walking across campus with uh, this friend of mine. So it's actually uh, myself and him and uh, his, uh, his younger sister. And we're walking across campus and we walk across this field, sort of intramural field, and he challenges his sister to a foot race. He's like, I'll race you to the end of the field. And I thought it was so strange that he would want to race his sister. And so I said, well, how about, how about you race me? You know, sort of like, the, like pick on somebody your own size, right? And, uh, and he's like, all right, well, I'll race you. And so I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm marginally athletic, um, but I'm feeling like this is not going uh, to be too difficult, not going to be much of a challenge. And, and quite frankly, it wasn't for him. It was not hard for him to destroy me. Um, that was actually the day that I learned that my to-be wife, this guy's sister, and my brother-in-law and basically their whole family are incredible runners. Not just good, incredible, right? So I've been getting to know this guy. And so my take on him is like, I don't know, not that into sports, doesn't seem particularly athletic. Not particularly athletic. Here's how not particularly athletic. Ran Division One track his freshman year. And I'm like, I'll race you, right? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, and so that afternoon, right, I can remember just sort of thinking like, wait, wait a minute. Right, you've probably had a similar experience where you, where you know somebody and then you uncover this side of them, you see more of them, and, and you, your understanding of them has to stretch. Certainly you've had some sort of experience like that. Uh, you realize that they're that they're a whole lot more than you imagined or that you believed beforehand. And, you know, whether that's a good illustration or not, I don't know. But I think that at least that concept is what's going on in this passage and what I want you to see. Uh, this semester we're studying through the book of Revelation, and our theme is the unveiled truth. So every week we're going to see the unveiled truth of something. Um, and, and this week what I want you to see is the unveiled truth of Jesus. Basically, what's going on in the book of Revelation, right, we talked about this last week, is God is revealing truth to his people. It's basically like he's pulling back the curtain of reality and showing us what's really going on in this world. And so what I want you to see tonight, again, is the unveiled truth of who Jesus is. And so we're going to do that by looking at, uh, we usually have three points, right? But tonight we have four. doesn't mean we're going longer, so don't worry about it. Here are four, uh, four points. Uh, the first is basically just some introductory, uh, introductory matters. I want to give you two introductory thoughts to help us think about this. Secondly, we're going to see Jesus unveiled, part one. Third, we're going to see John unveiled. And then fourthly and finally, we'll see Jesus unveiled, part two. All right, so let's get started uh, with a couple of introductory thoughts. Revelation, obviously, you know, obviously if, you've, if you've read through it before, you know it's, an, it's a unique book, right? And so I think talking about a couple of, of these aspects about how we understand it are going to serve us well on the front end. And the first thing that I want you to, uh, to know is this, is basically just give you a little bit of context. Um, this is, the book was written by the Apostle John, right? Not John the Baptist, but one of Jesus' disciples, one of his, uh, even sort of his inner circle, right? Um, James and John and Peter. And so it's this John that writes it. 
and he's writing it, um, he's writing it in, most likely in the, at the end of the first century, in the late 90s. And it's at a time when the church obviously is still very young, and yet they're being persecuted severely. They're in the, you know, uh, the, under, under Rome's authority in the Roman Empire, and Nero, the Emperor Nero and Domitian, uh, they, they are persecuting Christians like nobody's business. And so it's a very difficult time to be a believer in Jesus. In fact, John is, is exiled. He's writing this from an island called Patmos because he's been exiled to this you know, little island because he believes in Jesus. And so this book is written into this context where believers, uh, they're believers in Jesus Christ who is the risen, the risen Lord. He's king over everything, and yet they're being oppressed, and they're dying for their faith. And so they're looking around and and basically wondering, what in the world is going on? If Jesus really is king, how can this be happening? So that's the situation, and we're going to draw some applications toward the end, so keep that in mind. The second thing I want you to to bear in mind as we look at Revelation uh, is this idea of of how Revelation comes to us, which is uh, a, a large portion of it is in these visions, right? John is is basically shown visions over and over, and he records what he sees. And so we need to talk for just a second about how to understand these visions, because some of them are really weird, at least uh, apparently. And so what what, what you and I have to understand is that these visions are symbolic, right? They're symbolic in nature. They're not... They're not depicting the way something actually looks or the way it's going to play out uh, you know, here on earth to our eyes. But it's giving us a... a it's not communicating truth in a propositional way. It's, it's, it's appealing to our imagination, right? I think the best way to think about it is uh, it's sort of like our political cartoons, right? You see those in the paper, right? The political cartoon, uh, one of the ones that I came across... Uh, let's see, where'd it go? All right, one of the ones that I came across as I was thinking about this, it was called uh, Global Warming Deniers. Okay, just this one standalone cartoon. So it's talking about people that, you know, don't believe in global warming. And the picture, uh, you basically have this um, sort of desolate, arid landscape. You have an ostrich with his head stuck in the sand, and he's labeled Global Warming Denier. And his backside looks like a, a, a cooked turkey, and he's got a meat thermometer stuck in him, and it's registering crispy, right? So you get the idea, right? You know what to do with that. Like, you look at that, and the point's obvious. It's trying to communicate that if you, uh, if, if you deny that global warming is, is real, then in, you know, 50, 100, 150 years, there's going to be problems, Right? But you don't look at that cartoon and think, man, that's going to be so weird when there are ostriches everywhere that are just cooked in place and have meat thermometers in them, right? I mean, you just inherently know that. Um, like if you looked at a, 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 a cartoon of, you know, a caricature of President Obama and he's standing next to an elephant that's wearing a suit, you don't look at that and wonder, what in the world is the president doing? Like, who puts an elephant in a suit? Right, you know that that's representative of, of Republicans. It's just you just get it, right? It it's not that hard. 
And that, I think, is a really good illustration of what these visions in Revelation are. are. It's basically the same idea. It's giving us, God, God is giving us truth in sort of that format. And so I want you to keep that in mind. So as we look at this vision of Jesus, we have to understand that it's not showing us what Jesus looks like. It's showing us, it's showing us who Jesus is. It's giving us a picture uh, that, that strikes at our imagination. All right, so with those out of the way, let's look at uh, our second point, Jesus Unveiled, part one. See this verses uh, 12 through 17. So John hears a voice, and he turns to see what it is. And so he records that for us, and what he records is amazing. Because he turns and he sees Jesus. Now, this is Jesus whom he knew really well, right? He was the, uh, you know, self-described the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who had, you know, laid his head on Jesus' chest while they, while they ate dinner. And he turns around and he sees this amazing vision um, because God sort of pulls the curtain back and shows him what, what Jesus really looks like. And so what John sees is, he says, one like a son of man. So what does that mean? We kind of have to get a little nerdy about this to figure that out. Um, and I told you last week that to understand Revelation, we're going to keep going back to the Old Testament, right? And we're going to do that now. Um, so basically in the book of Daniel, we get a lot of help on this. So John sees one like a son of man. What does that mean? Well, in Daniel, so keep in mind, Daniel was written to Israel while they were um, being oppressed by, um, by Babylon, right? While they're in exile, right? So you get somewhat of a similar situation. Uh, Daniel 7 and 10. All right, so uh, I'm going to read just a handful of verses here. And listen for the overlap with our passage tonight. Uh, This is like Daniel 7, 9 through 10. uh, And then 13 and 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom, excuse me, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So you see what's going on. Um, God is borrowing this language and this vision from Daniel, and he's sort of importing it. You know, it's not exact, but he's importing it from Daniel. Um, And so what John sees is this mighty figure, this son of man, which is really just a Hebrew way of saying person, right? Someone born of, of, you know, human being. So what you see in Daniel is this human being, and yet at the same time, this human being is is equated with the ancient of days. He's clearly a heavenly figure as well. And so John has this vision of, of... of this son of man, which, by the way, was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, and, you know, which we read in the Gospels. 
And what he shows up as, what he displays himself as, is the, um, is the great judge, right? He's got, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, he's got fire all around him. And what do we see here? A picture, you know, which is a picture of God's burning, uh, purifying presence. And you see Jesus has fire in his eyes. He gets this vision of Jesus who sees everything. He sees everything for what it is. Everything's exposed and there's going to be judgment. He has hair that's pure white showing his perfect wisdom and his ability to bring perfect judgment. He has a sword coming out of his mouth, right? A symbol of power, a symbol of, uh, of justice. And it's this son of man to whom all power and authority is given to reign over everybody, every kingdom, every nation. And it says that his face shines like the sun in full strength. Think about that. He's getting this vision of Jesus, this, and he's enormous in his wisdom, in his power, in his, in his judgment. And his, just, just his face is shining like the sun. Now think about that. You think like, well, it's the sun, right? The sun is 93 million miles from here. Think about that. Like, yeah, you can't, I, I don't understand that. It's 93 million miles from here, and you, it, at that distance, you still can't look at it for more than like half a second before it'll burn your eyes. And, and John says, I, I saw this vision of Jesus, and his face was kind of like that. That's just this hint of how amazing he is. His voice is like the roar of many waters. Have you ever stood at the base of a waterfall? Right, of, a, of a real, legit waterfall. And as it hits the, as it hits the ground, you don't just hear it, right? You f- it, it echoes in your chest, right? John gets this picture. His voice is like that. It has incredible power. The robe and the sash that he's wearing, are, it's the clothing of the priest. But the one he wears are, are golden. So they're even, he's even more perfect. Um, he's even more beautiful. And so what I want you to see is that, he, that John gets this overwhelming vision of Jesus. This Jesus that he knows, and yet his understanding of Jesus is just, it, it's just blown up. He sees, he sees Jesus in a sense for who he really is. Again, not that he's going to look like that, but who he is. He sees that he holds every ounce of power in his hand. That he's king over everything. And he's the judge. Alright, so we see, this, uh, we see Jesus unveiled, part one. Now I want you to see um, sort of the, the effect that that has. We're going to see John unveiled. Look in verse 17. John sees what Jesus, gets this vision of Jesus. And look at his reaction. It's pretty straightforward. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's what happens. John sees Jesus, and he falls at his feet as though dead. And it's clear that this is not him uh, bowing down in worship. He's not paying homage to Jesus. This is John seeing Jesus in all of his enormity, and he is terrified. He is absolutely unraveled by seeing the glory of Jesus. And he falls on his face. Why? Why is he like that? Because 
As John sees the holiness and the beauty and the purity and the glory of Jesus for what he really is, it exposes him for who he really is. He realize, he's overwhelmed by his greatness and he's overwhelmed by his own weakness. Right? Seeing his glory causes him to see his own, you know, uh, uh, almost nothingness. Jesus is so great and, and, and I'm, I'm nothing. And he falls on his face. It shows him his own weakness. Um, I, probably, I think I've used, at least some of you heard this story before. Um, so look, all right, so all the illustrations tonight are coming about my lack of athletic prowess. So I took a, a business speech class, and one of our uh, star, so I went to Ole Miss, and the, the star linebacker on our team was in our business speech class. And there's like 10 or 12 people in this class, so, you know, we kind of get to know each other a little bit. And so he come, we come in one day, and it's time to give speeches, and I'm sitting right across from him. And he basically asked the class before we start, he's like, I kind of want to go first, so I'm going to go first. And so because we kind of got to know each other, I was like, I don't know. I was kind of hoping to go first. And he kind of looked at me like, you know I could just destroy you, right? And I said, well, maybe we could arm wrestle for it. And he looked at it, for like one second, he looked at me like, are you just insane? And then, you know, he called on like, totally kidding, right? I mean, let's arm wrestle, but. And so he says, all right. And so we put our arms on the table, you know, put my arm out. And, like, I know, like, I don't have a chance in the world, right? I know, you know, to some degree I know my strength and my lack of it, right? All right, when he wraps his hand around mine, right, and his fingers touch, (laughs) and I'm not kidding you, it feels like, you know, if you grab a piece of steel, I went from knowing, like, oh, you know, this will just be kind of funny, from, you know, because I know I'm not going to win, to honestly scared. No kidding. Because I realize all of a sudden, like, I'm not even strong enough to keep him from really hurting me. No kidding. Like, I'm completely convinced if he wanted to break my hand on the table, me trying as hard as I could, it would not have been hard. So when I, you, know, you get the idea, when I, when I feel his strength, all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, like, my weakness is just magnified. Like, I see it for what it really is. And so I had to look at him and say, you know I'm kidding, right? And he just nodded, like, of course I know you're kidding. Okay, and I lost. He went first. But you get the idea, right? It's a little bit like what John is experiencing here, a little tiny bit. Seeing the greatness of Jesus has exposed his own weakness. He now sees himself as, wait, oh, wait a minute. I can't even keep myself from getting destroyed here. It causes him to come undone. Um, Yeah, it unveils John, so to speak. It'd be kind of like if you paint a wall, uh, you know, if you're repainting white walls at your house and you paint that first strip white, you know, then all of a sudden you see like how dirty your walls really are, right? Because now this is really white. You get the idea. So John is faced with this standard of righteousness, of perfection, and, and he just comes undone. And so, all right, what does that mean for us? I just want to throw this out there. I think that's one of the ways that you can know if you've met the real Jesus. It's if you've met the real Jesus, if you have met him, and to some degree it has caused you to come undone. 
to see your own weakness. Because look, you and I, we, we love to compare ourselves to other people, right? Because it's sort of easy. We can always find somebody that's a little worse than us. And so it's easy. We, we want to compare ourselves to other people and say, like, look, I'm not that bad. Like, I don't sleep around like she does. Um, I don't cheat in, you know, I don't cheat on, like, tests like they do. Or I don't cheat in every class like they do. Or I don't party as much as, as you know, they, I mean, this is not like an every week thing. Whatever it is, I don't have that big of a problem. Um, or the flip side, you know, I, I go to church way more than most people. Or I'm involved in RUF and, you know, three other ministries. It's a whole lot more than whoever else. But when you come face to face with the real Jesus, all of that just gets shattered. Because when you come in contact with the real Jesus and see him, when you have the curtain pulled back and you see Jesus, then you realize that, like, all right, so maybe you're right. Maybe they're like a a five on the righteousness scale and you're like an eight. And Jesus is like a trillion. And it just doesn't matter anymore how you compare yourself to other people. So have you met Jesus and, and has it caused you to come undone? Because that's the real Jesus. That's what he does to people in one sense. All right, but we see more than that. And this is our last point. Uh, we see a little bit more about Jesus unveiled. And that's what I want you to see now. Jesus unveiled part two. See in verses 17 through 20. It's, uh, John says, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Right? John has seen this Jesus whose eyes just pierce right through him, whose glory is like the sun, who's utterly overwhelming, and he falls on his face terrified because he knows, like, I'm just done. And what does that Jesus, that same Jesus that is just utterly enormous, what does he do? He puts his hand on John, and he says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. It's, it's fascinating how much that shows up in the Bible, by the way. When God or Jesus shows up, and sometimes even angels, routinely he has to say, don't be, you know, and we used to you translate sometimes like, fear not, right? And it sounds sort of like quaint and like, he's saying, don't look, you don't have to be terrified. And why does he say you don't have to be afraid? You don't have to be afraid because, because I died, right? I defeated death by my resurrection, And what does he say? Not only did I die, I have the keys to death and hell. I died in your place. You don't have to be afraid. And by the way, that death thing and hell, I own them. You don't have to be afraid at all. You see what what this is showing John and us? Uh, That we, we don't have to be afraid. Like Both can be true. We fall at his feet, utterly undone, and yet... That enormous Jesus comes to us in in compassion and grace. And he says, you do not have to be afraid. Because I am the almighty king. I am the almighty judge. And I am your savior. I am the one that loves you. I died for you. 
I have, all, I have authority that stretches over absolutely everything, and I use all of that power for you. Because He loves us, and He's right with us. Did you notice that uh, in, in the vision that John gets, do you notice what the very first thing that John saw in his vision? Because it actually wasn't Jesus. The first thing that, that John sees in his vision is these seven golden lampstands. And it says that Jesus was in the midst of these lampstands. He was standing right in the middle of these, uh, of these like um, torches, I guess, right? And Jesus, thankfully, this is one of the few times where Jesus says, like, look, let me tell you what that means, which is awesome. He basically says, this represents the church. Yes, it's these specific churches and Laodicea and, you know, wherever else. But we're going to see everything in Revelation symbolic. There's seven of them, right? This is symbolic of, yes, it's these churches, but it's also symbolic of the church universal. And the picture that John gets of this Jesus that is utterly amazing and terrifying and and beautiful and enormous is that he is right in the middle of his people. Where does he see him? Right in the middle. Right in the middle of his people. So he's incredibly powerful and holy, and yet he's right in the midst of us. All right, so what, is, what does all that mean? We're going we're gonna to wind it up with, this, with these thoughts. Look, remember we said that, that this is written to people that are being persecuted, that are utterly confused about life, and saying, how, how can this be real? How can Jesus be real and yet we're just getting literally killed? You can imagine how encouraging this vision would be, right? That Jesus shows up and he says, look, nothing's changed. I am absolutely in control and I am right there with you. I'm walking right, I'm going to walk through this with you. Because look, whether you're a believer or not, you know that you're going to face a lot of hard times in life. There's, it's just the way it is, and I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't, but life's hard. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. Um, and I think in some sense, especially as a believer. Remember, John says he's their partner in the tribulation. So this is not some tribulation that's going to come one day, right? It's now. But the same is true for us. God has not promised us a life free of trial and suffering and pain. And some of, us, some of us, quite frankly, are probably mad at him about that. That he's not made good on a promise that he actually never made. But what he does promise is to walk with you right in the midst of it. He's promised to be right in the middle of it with you. So look, what I want you to see is that Jesus doesn't sit up in heaven and just sort of fling suffering at people and say, like, all right, how about your family breaks up? See how you deal with that. And just watch, you know, watch the carnage unfold like it's television or something. He doesn't say, like, all right, and so now your boyfriend's going to break up with you. And we'll see how that turns out. These things come into our life, and we, you get the, the image of Jesus with all of his power walking right through those things with you. Right with you. When your friends betray you, when you get ridiculed, made fun of because you believe in this ridiculous thing called Christianity, maybe you get thrown in prison because you believe in Jesus, you face death, uh, your parents break up, whatever it is, you need to see this vision of Jesus. 
that he is on the one hand unimaginably big. And at the same time, he is with you because he loves you. I'm going to end with this illustration. Um, when our, uh, look, the only thing scarier than, so you're a parent, imagine you're a parent, as I am, we have three kids, you're laying in bed because it's like 3.30 in the morning and you're completely asleep. The only thing scarier than hearing from that dead sleep, hearing the knob of your bedroom door turn, right, it's one of our kids, but you know, you don't know that, 3.30 in the morning, all you hear is, you know, the door pop open. The only thing scarier than that, by the way, is uh, dead asleep and from right here you hear, Dad! <laughs> Which has happened. And I don't feel like I should be accountable for the things that I say then. <laughs> so look, you, you know, you've been there, right, as a little guy. So you can picture at our house, kids, kid comes in and, you know, <laughs> scared to death, your heart slows down a little bit, you're just praying that they're not sick, you know, please don't be throwing up. Say, so what, what, what's wrong? And they say, I had a bad dream. I'm scared. What do they want? You know, what, what do you think Amy and I do? Whichever one it is, you think we just say like, okay, well, why, you know, why are you waking me up? Like, <laughs> okay, go back, right? No, what, what do we do? We go back with them. We go back in the room. And if they're, you know, if they're young enough, you, you, you get in bed with them. And you say, hey, it's going to be okay. Right? You're fine. Daddy's here. And when you do that, you almost don't even get to finish the sentence because they fall asleep like that. Why? Because dad's there or mom's there. And they know that at least for now, they think, they know, that dad is bigger than any dream, than any monster in the closet, right? Dad can take care of that. And so they're not worried about it because dad is with them. That's the picture, right? The all-powerful God of the universe, and he is with you right in the midst of it. Because look, we all know that right, there are some monsters that are real. Right? But if you put your trust in Jesus, then you can know that He's right there with you. And there's nothing bigger than Him. And that's an invitation. He invites you to that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, we thank You for that truth, that You would pull back the curtain and let us just get a glimpse of what You're really like, of Jesus, of what You're really like, of who You really are, that You are enormous, And that we are undone in front of you and yet you love us and you say don't fear. Because you died in our place. And you walk right through, you walk right next to us in the midst of of suffering. And so we can be unafraid. Father, we pray that that truth would would captivate all of us in this room. And if it doesn't, uh, would you please make it so? And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.